welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. The show today is all about potatoes. Coming up, we have an interview with John Marshall, a top tatty expert. So, Chris, about the potato, the humble little tuber, where's it come from? Yeah, we, we do have to go quite back in time, Peter, about uh, 1,800 years to be precise. Wow. Yeah, um, and it's, uh, yeah, the potato is actually native of, uh, of Peru, and it's largely, and has been largely, cultivated in South America. Okay. Um, originally by the Incas, and obviously grown there, and grown in masses, um, something like 4,000 varieties uh, were, uh, were were grown at that time, and obviously many of those are probably the the uh, ancestry to the ones we grow in our gardens today. And it's interesting; a lot of them weren't your natural sort of creamy uh, skinned potato. A lot of them had particular colours. Really? So the normal red potatoes and white potatoes—they're they're only part of the crop. What what other colours do you get? Yeah, we get yeah purple. Uh, you get the reds, and obviously the oranges, and everything in between. And some of them are sort of stripes as well. So you do get a whole gamut of them so okay so that picture that i saw um was a potato cut in half with loads of red almost like red veins inside it they are genuine that wasn't just a bit of um photo crop no no i think the 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 variability and because it's a native of that part of the world that's why you get such obviously uh, interesting um manipulations and you think about the the big popular blue potato which is on the show benches a lot of our i know a lot, a lot of our regular customers are always asking for that particular variety so they are sought after um and then the whole uh, scheme of things excellent so the potato first came into ireland didn't it from memory mm, that's right yeah the date which you often see quoted is 1598 and um, who bought them in yeah well um famously uh, sir walter riley Ah, the old explorer. Indeed, yes, life of. And uh, he obviously popularised them over there. And um, it was a lot later, actually. It was 1780 before they started to move across to Europe and obviously to the UK. However, there was something which happened about less than actually 100 years after the the potato was introduced into Ireland, and that was, of course, the potato famine. Okay, and that's where, unfortunately, loads of people starved, didn't they? And there was... a lack of food available, and um, that, what 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 caused that lack of uh, potato crop? Yeah, so the, they were obviously it was a chief commercial varieties of, of importance in the the commerce of Ireland. It was obviously a major crop for for uh, for the monetary side of uh, of the, the country, and and during the years of eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, um, yes, the the crop was hit by a disease. Okay, uh, what disease was that? That was potato blight. Ah, so that's why you see blight-resistant potatoes. Well, yeah. What does blight look like, Chris? Yep, so often you see the, the, the leaves going sort of yellow and often with uh, sort of brown marks and patches. Often they go black. The whole stem will eventually wither. And more worryingly is that the potatoes themselves, the tubers themselves, will become infected and they'll have obviously bad markings within the tuber. So effectively that renders it worthless. Okay. Now, our expert today, John Marshall, he probably knows a thing about um, potatoes and potato blight, doesn't he? I'm sure his his background and his uh, knowledge will bring an enlightenment on on a lot of those varieties. But it's interesting that potato blight is, uh, the the, the correct name for it is Thytophora infestans. Okay. Now, a lot of people will know the name Phytophthora uh, connected with other diseases in the garden, including honey fungus. It's in the same family, so it affects the root systems of a lot of plants. So Phytophthora is not a, a, a pest or a disease we really want to have in our gardens. 
Because the potato, I'm just thinking sort of a bit more about the origin of it. It's from quite a big family, isn't it? What other plants are in that family, Chris? It does, yeah. It shares, it's in the, the Solinacea family, which includes the likes of tomatoes. Hence right. the, the, the sort of very much the familiarity between the two plants, and of course other uh, wildflowers and plants which we see in our gardens, which are, are less uh, attractive. I'm thinking here of the nightshades, uh, the deadly nightshade, and one which grows in my garden occasionally is the bittersweet nightshade, okay. uh, which has a, a very attractive little white flowers, very similar to uh, to potatoes, in fact. But then of course it produces these very uh, poisonous berries. So those no, we definitely don't want to be eating, do we? Most definitely not. Okay. So the smokers amongst you might also know that the potato is part of the same family as the uh, Nicotiana, isn't That's it? Right. Yeah. So uh, I think it's the tobacco sylvestris, isn't it? Is the uh, the Nicotiana sylvestris family? So okay. yeah, and a lot of those obviously we grow the ornamental tobacco plants in our garden. In fact, it's a very popular bedding plant as an ornamental plant. It's uh, good, and in fact, one of the varieties I think it's uh, I think it's sylvestris um, Nicotiana wonderfully fragrant in the evening it's a night scented tobacco plant so such a wide and diverse you know family brings us you know potentially fruits and vegetables and scent and flowers as well now the potato is very common on our plates isn't it Uh, Mm. certainly part of your um five a day is it chris well, this is this is where it gets a bit complicated. Technically, no. So oh. <laughs> that's a bit disappointing. So isn't chips it? aren't part of my five of day. Nor boiled, no, <laughs> no roasted or or grated. Or my packet of crisps. No, certainly not. No, <laughs> no, no. They're obviously they 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 have got obviously a nutritional value. They're yeah, very they're high. full of carbohydrates, aren't they? And um, what else are they good for? Uh, vitamin C. Yes, is good. And also, they are naturally gluten free. I which didn't is, know that. So which is useful for obviously people who have got uh, particular diet dietary requirements. So definitely, they've got vitamin C in it. Do you think that might be why um, they came back with Sir Walter Raleigh on on his little world tour? I think so, and that's they, why. Yeah, I think on on uh, on ships uh, at that time they potatoes were a staple diet of the crew, weren't they? To to obviously help them. So yeah, because uh, they last a long time, don't they? And they're like you say, full of vitamin C. They're full of yep. carbohydrates, so they're probably quite a good energy source for the for the sailors. Indeed, high high, uh, high value as well as that. They obviously have got looking through the the, the list of uh, ingredients of a, a potato. Yes, you've got you, you, they have a, a calorific obviously uh, value. They have got a, a small amount of fat in them. And they do obviously contain those proteins and fibres, which obviously are part of our, our diet. So they are essential, if not one of our five a day. So as we're learning, potatoes are very popular. They've been with us a long while and they've got a huge nutritional benefit. Let's learn a little bit more about them. We're delighted today to be joined by John Marshall, Scotland's top potato expert and well-known speaker. How do we find you today, John? Well, good weather. Frustrated I'm inside, but I'm glad to be speaking to you. The daylight's getting longer, and the the garden's just crying out for action. Um, but ready to go. Great stuff. Oh, that's, that's nice to hear, especially up, up, up your part of the world. Um, you're based in Fife, is that is that correct? Fife, yes. Um, I moved here in 1973 um, with the first job, with potatoes. I moved from the family farm. Right. And a wonderful finding place called Ochtermachty. Excellent. So you're very close to the, the sea potato industry in that part of the world. So perhaps reading through your notes, John, can you sort of take us back to how or what actually influ- influenced you on your on your journey? Yeah, it, 
And it's quite a difficult start, but anyhow, 14th of February, 1950, I was I was born, and I can't remember my first potato experience, but my father, he, he was passionate potato man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just discovered a letter the other day, and he built a greenhouse laboratory to grow not tomatoes, but tobacco plants. Really? Test, yes, to test the health of the potato crop. By squeezing the juice from the potato leaves onto the tobacco plants, if you couldn't see the virus, if it was low level, um, it would show up after a few weeks on the tobacco plant. And this is where we came into the scene, my sister and I, probably aged four and six, and we were the labour force. <laughs> we had to pot up these tobacco mm-hmm. plants. We hadn't a clue what we were doing and squeeze the juice onto the leaves. And uh, this occupied us. It was very hot, but this is how it all kicked off. And, of course, on the farm, we were surrounded by the usual potato planting, potato picking as part of a Mm -hmm. a hand squad. Um, And I think that was how it all began. That sounds quite technical for for such a youngster, I to say. But um, is, is that how today, um, obviously, that the process of of checking for virus on potatoes happens, or is it has it moved on with the times? It certainly moved on. Um, the, the the government are still checking. My father had by chance met a senior advisor, scientist with the the government back in 1950, and he outlined the government's plan. Um, because virus was to be tackled. And it has just evolved and emerged from this tobacco testing. One time it's rabbit serum. Now there's something called an ELISA test. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a long process. And the, the potatoes start from a healthy store tested that's kept with the government, the Scottish government, and they multiply it up and it goes through a series of uh, specialist growers. Uh, we start with micropropagation, and after six or seven years, there's commercial stocks coming out, which are available for the commercial grower who's growing for the supermarket, or for the priors, or for the crisp makers. And of course, not forgetting the very important people, gardeners. Of course, yes, we mustn't forget good old gardeners and garden centres. And it's interesting, we, I was just having a walk around the, uh, our potato stock at the garden centre here, and it's all looking very depleted. So we've got obviously a lot of new new gardeners on board from, from last year's lockdown, all having a go at potatoes. I suppose they're just such a good, reliable crop to, to, to set your sights on and have good success with. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, J- John... Um, can you take us back to your student years? Because obviously you obviously you, you did move on there, and it would be quite interesting for our our, our audience just to get an idea of of the of the, uh, the educational side of your your journey, which sounds really really good. Yeah, I've made I've made no conscious decision um, to get involved in farming. In fact, I was thriving against it um, at school. I, I I flourished at biology and botany. And somehow I found a project that I'd done for my A-level. And it was all about trying to induce mutation in potato by cutting the eyes out. And I think this is my father's encouragement. But I stumbled across another article by a Russian scientist. And way back in the 1930s, they'd been doing that. I was unsuccessful, but I got a grade A. Wow. 
And that got me to university, Edinburgh University. And I was just bowled over with student life. I was going to do a BSc in general agriculture. And uh, it was just the joy of living in the city, meeting such a diverse lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, studies weren't high on the agenda. But um, I, I do recall um, anything that was associated with potatoes, I would get high marks without even trying. So it was brilliant. <laughs> that's, that's really good. And I see that during your time at, uh, at, uh, at Edinburgh, you did a little bit of um, summer work, working as a, as a government seed potato inspector. Yes. So I, tell I, us a little bit more about that, please. That'd be great. I think this is the, the real hook. Uh, again, my father was very encouraging. He was not very well at this point. Um, in fact, he was seriously ill. And he encouraged me. He said, I'd been... What was to explain this on the farm? We were termed as rogers, mm -hmm. and roguing was a process where you walked through the, the seed crops, and if you saw a different variety, you would pull it out. If you saw a diseased plant, you would pull it out and put it in a sack. But this was quite hard work, and the inspector's life was much easier. Okay. So the government has, uh, and it still has today, lots of potatoes, all the different varieties. And I spent a fortnight in a course with lots of other people, different students, not agricultural students, you know, they were lawyers, medics, and we're all trying to identify, just like people's faces, the names of these potato varieties. And I found it quite quite easy and relaxing, but others were struggling with it. And uh, we had to pass a test at the end um, on the diseases and on the varieties. Yeah. Once the test was passed, we were then dispatched to different parts of Scotland where the seed potatoes were grown in pairs. And with government instructions, we would uh, go through farmers' potato fields, inspecting them uh, and noting down in our book uh, whether they had virus or if we could spot diseases or different varieties. We would just proceed on that basis. Mm. And it was wonderful because we're meeting all sorts of different kinds of farmers and we're having a great social life as well. That sounds really but, good. Um, that hooked me in. <laughs> <laughs> by, by, by far. And I noticed on one of the, the notes, John, that you had to identify uh, sort of 50 varieties of potato just from the leaf. That sounds yes, incredible. Yes, that's right. Um, and, you know, the, the, some of the inspectors, the permanent ones, and they could do many, many more. But whether the potato was a sort of light-shaded green, a dark-shaded green, Sometimes a particular hook too, you know, mm -hmm. a bow tie on the leaves, the arrangement of the leaves would suggest that that would be Kerr's Pink or Duke of York. It was always termed that it had penny secondary leaves. So there were and different colours of flowers, purple or red, or even petals with holes in them. Um, so there are all sorts of tricks to memorise the variety. Um, it, was, it was good fun. And we, we were all very challenged and competitive um, <laughs> that sounds really good um uh, john before we sort of delve into your, your commercial uh, years into the, the the potato trade can can i just ask you a question um we're also told that uh, sea potatoes should be grown as sea potatoes but what sort of differs a potato from what you might possibly buy in the supermarket which you might want to grow 
in the garden. Obviously, a lot of people might be tempted, especially you know during the course of the late spring summer, to to look at their potatoes in the the cupboard, which are starting to obviously chit and start to grow, and think to plant that. What sort of def- what's the defining difference on the uh, on the tuber to the the the, the potato yeah. you'd use in the kitchen? Yes, that's a that's a very good question, and temptation is there. I, I've met people that have come back from holidays and seen exotic varieties. I've seen people, um, just, oh, I had these left over from the supermarket that were growing, so I just planted mm-hmm. them. But this is not a good idea because seed potatoes, uh, have, as I explained earlier, have come through a long process mm-hmm. from disease-free conditions in the government, micropropagation, and through a, an elaborate system, diseases are always creeping back in. There's some diseases which are just not there. Um, and won't come in, provided you keep to the rules. Um, but there are others that are creeping back in. So it's a continual process of getting healthy potatoes. It's important you should go back each year. But supermarket potatoes, uh, you know, they come come from uh, anywhere. They're not necessarily a, a seed grower. They can come from come in from Europe. They can come in from come out up from the south. And there could be low levels. And there's some really uh, bad diseases, bacterial diseases, um, which could be brought in. Mm. Well, one thing I was going to say, John, when, sorry to, to interrupt that, but you, when you're buying sea potatoes, they're often quite small, quite a lot smaller to <clears throat> what you perhaps would buy in the supermarket for, for cooking. Is that, is that a, in any way uh, disadvantageous for growing a crop? Uh, Small potatoes, some, some of the commercial growers just love the small potatoes. They're mm-hmm. perhaps a, a little more vulnerable, but they're, they're going to produce, bit, uh, you know, a, a good plant, a good healthy mm-hmm. plant given okay. good growing conditions. And if you can imagine the micro-propagation system, just starting off with a, just a cell and growing it up. So, yes, potatoes will grow. I, what I would like to add in is that this is a new scheme, and... You know, the government, everybody, farmers are very concerned about these bacterial diseases, brown rot, ring rot, Mm -hmm. coming in from Europe. And there is a scheme called the Safe Haven Scheme. Okay. And you'll see a Union Jack, and it's best to to look for that. And seed potatoes are are all quite clearly labelled with the the grower's number and the Safe Haven stamp. And, yes, they, they could be traced back if you have a problem. Um, you can trace them back, but hopefully you won't. That's a really good uh, good tip, John. Certainly. Um, in going back to your your um, your commercial experience, um, the Potato Marketing Board. Now we found you by the Potato Market Board a few weeks ago because I was obviously trying to get hold of a really good guest on the, the subject of, of potato growing, and they were wonderfully helpful. But you've had to obviously uh, work with them over the years. Could you tell us a little bit about the uh, the jobs you, you've done with them? Yes, uh, that, was a, that was the first job. And again, I, I wanted to be a permanent potato inspector, but the Potato Marketing Board uh, was set up. It was called the Ministry of Food in World War II, and government was very concerned that there should be enough potatoes grown for the whole country um, without prices going sky high and without the farmer uh, going bankrupt. So they had a system of quotas in the Potato Marketing Board. And bearing in mind at this time, 
they weren't specialist growers. There were 80,000 growers up and down the country. Huge number. Today, there's only 2,000. Wow. But okay. uh, they needed to be managed through the quota system, and governments would set target acreages. So our job was to ensure that the farmer was keeping to his quota, so we were mm -hmm. measuring with fields and chains. Um, we then would estimate uh, what the yields were like. Uh, this was a great job. We involved us going out to farms in all weather, so it was best from sunshine, but digging up uh, across the field and taking samples and wriggling to see what the yield would be. Mm. Now, the bizarre thing was, um, in today's world, if there were too many potatoes, if we predicted by our digging there was going to be too many, the government was had the guaranteed price and it would to prevent the potatoes price from going too low, we would enter the market and buy these potatoes from the farmer, the excess. Okay. Because one thing with a fresh crop, you you couldn't store it then from one year to the next. There were no fries or very little and no cold storage. So you couldn't store them for long. So the prices, everybody would race to sell theirs first and the price would go down to zero. Anyhow, the, the government stabilised that. And these surplus potatoes, we weren't wasted. We would dye them green, purple, to prevent them being recycled in the shop. Some would get price and they would be sold to cattle feeders. Okay. And uh, this was our job, to monitor that. It didn't happen every year, but it happened quite frequently. And, of course, we... We chatted to farmers, there was publicity, there was uh, one job at the Royal Highland Show. I had to bake 16,000 potatoes. That was good fun. <laughs> it was quite a variation. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, moving on from, from the show there, I mean, your uh, your journey has taken you and your potatoes to the RHS show, uh, RHS Chelsea, no less. Yes, um, that was your chance. That was jumping in time. But... Uh, yeah, I, I was about to retire, and I'd quite often spoken to a collector of varieties, Morris Innes mm -hmm. from Newmarket, and he had 700 varieties wow. on his small holding. I, I just couldn't get, quite believe it. And a, a wonderful Doric accent, Northeast accent. Uh -huh. And he, he very excitedly said, I'm going to Chelsea Flower Show. I said, I'm retiring in a few weeks. Would you like me to give you a hand? I, I, I won't charge. And he said, Oh, yeah, that would be good. And I, I had nothing for ages. And then suddenly he said, we're going down to Chelsea. I said, do you mind if I bring my wife? She's quite keen to <laughs> see what Chelsea's about. So, we, yes, that was it. There were a four-man team, um, Anne and Morris Innes, and myself, Rona, and, and Rona, my wife. So and you, so, there so, we were at Chelsea Fire Show. And what an amazing experience. So you were in the main uh, grant, was it the Grand Marquis then, or the pavilions? Uh, That's right, yeah. and it was totally alien. I remember the first week it was, oh, it was fearfully cold. And uh, Morris uh, had all the, the, the varieties selected, everything in his head, what he was going to do. He'd asked for a basic stand. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, you know, day one, the potatoes didn't arrive, and it all seemed a very slow <laughs> process. Mm -hmm. But he knew what he was doing. He, he, just underestimated. He needed the help. So <laughs> my wife and I had, you know, six days in the setup, and um, he was uh, <laughs> he and his wife and would be putting up the potatoes, anti-roll devices, and just the ladder. It was called the potato story. So he'd have circles with maybe half a dozen different varieties, six okay. varieties each, 
six potatoes each. And there were different themes, you know, baking potatoes, potatoes from uh, South America, potatoes from Ireland, and so on. And um, we were just bowled over, couldn't believe it. And we had a time limit to finish. And I can remember looking at the clock. Morris, we were saying, we'll have to stay here overnight. And we're being thrown out. <laughs> but one minute to final time, and the last potato was put in place. And then, and I was going to say, then, of course, uh, John, you, you'd have been judged, I assume, because it would be a co- competitive stand at Chelsea, so you'd have, been, you'd have to be judged as, as, a, as an exhibit? That's right. Um, uh, we had, uh, what was it, Celebrity Day. That was a lot of fun with people. Of people coming in and trying to recognise them. I was pretty poor at that. <laughs> but um, yes, and then the next day, of course, was judging. And we were just delighted. Um, came in early in the morning with Morris and he'd received a gold medal. Excellent. And uh, uh, we were just over the moon with that. And, you know, it, it, he. Wanted to involve us. We said, well, it's you. You've done all the hard work. We were just there helping out. And he said, no, no, we couldn't have done it without you, John and Rona. Mm-hmm. And it was such an incredible experience. The number of people we were meeting. Morris wanted to wear his kilt. And I said, well, I've got mine as well. So, And first day we wore it. And, you know, he was double page spread in the Telegraph. And p- potatoes hadn't been to Chelsea before. And it really captured the people's imagination, um, you know, from all over the world. Everybody seemed to have a potato story. It was bustling. Um, it was just incredible. That's really interesting. And, and, I mean, Chelsea now has become, obviously, more and more diverse. It has to be. And, of course, this year it's uh, taken the unprecedented step of being being moved to September because of, uh, because of COVID. So yes. it'll be interesting to see what other more unusual exhibitors are put into into the marquee in view of the fact that obviously we wouldn't have the usual sort of species and uh, varieties of, of plants, flowers and uh, and maybe vegetables. So that would be good as well. Now, John, um, reading through your notes as well, there was one adventure which I thought our listeners would like to hear about, and that's um, planting potatoes in Peru. Yes, we went to Peru and we, we did a marvellous trip Explore trip, exploring from Lima uh, down the coast up in the mountains, swimming in Lake Titicaca, seeing the condors, and trekking a four-day trek into Machu Picchu. But we left our, our companions, our fellow travellers, and Rona and I went to a place called Park de la Papa, and it's 15,000 hectares just set aside uh, to maintain the potatoes, the the Farmers are called the guardians of the potatoes. Mm-hmm. And we arrived there and it was a, a, a band playing, a conch being blown, flowers being thrown in our hair, and a terrific reception. Um, it, it was fantastic. Sounds really good. And, seeing, and seeing, yeah, I was going to say, seeing, seeing the potatoes from a different aspect in a different culture, I suppose. So difference-wise, I mean, is the, the, the wide range of varieties in that part of the world or, or are they sort of more limited? Yeah. The, Peru, they reckon, was the, where potatoes were first domesticated. Um, there were wild potatoes that were used 14,500 years ago in Chile, but 9,000 years ago, perhaps, domestication. And, yes, they're growing up, you know, high up the mountains here, you know, 4,000 mm-hmm. metres. 
And they're not like the varieties that we see. They're, they're what they call their native potatoes, many different ones. And their, their names are very descriptive, whether it looks for. There, there was a, a, a fantastic variety that looked impossible to peel. And it was described as the potato that makes the bride weep uh, because she can't peel it. Now, the, the farmer was a good catch if he was going to get married, if he had a lot of different varieties, because that made disease resistance, and he would have good crops, whatever the conditions. And uh, she would have to peel the potato to pass the test. <laughs> um, but yes, they had lots of potatoes, different ones, different mm-hmm. different types. Um, and we were had a demonstration, and Mario, the host, described all these wonderful potatoes and what they were good for and how they were cooking. Uh, and then he said, right, we're going to have a, a demonstration. Now, they started plowing the field with hand plows. These hand plows are called tacklers, mm-hmm. um, similar to what the Incas had used 500 years ago. Wow. And it involved two men and a woman. The woman, the men plunged the tacklers in and the woman turned the turf over. Brilliant. And next, planting. Um, that consisted of one tackler man making a hole and the other man, he delved his hand into pouch and brought out some llama dung, a llama dung mixture for fertilizer. And the woman was there, she got two potatoes, different varieties, and put them in a hole. And and that was the planting process. Um, why you got two potatoes? <laughs> and of course, they explained they they were they were speaking question, and we did have a a translator, but I'm sure a lot of it was lost in translation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we um, we had our shot of planting the potatoes, but at four thousand meters, it, it's very exhausting. I was, say. <laughs> I was struggling enough to walk there, but oh. we, it was so colourful. They were wearing colourful. Uh, Caribbean mm-hmm. costumes, the colours are great, and we were wearing them to begin with, but uh, when it came to planting, I, I had to just do it in <laughs> ordinary trousers and shirt. Oh, that's, um, yeah, that sounds oh, it's a fantastic uh, trip. Um, John, obviously thinking about our customers and the you know the garden centre world at the moment and the way things are, are moving, obviously we're, uh, we're in the latter parts of, of, uh, of, of winter now, early spring is, is coming quite quickly what about those people who might be thinking about growing potatoes for the first time you know is there any sort of tips you would you give a first-time grower yes um people say oh what variety should i i I grow but i I don't start there i say why do you want to grow potatoes not food obviously but Mm -hmm. why and there there are about 12 things you know something you can't buy in the supermarket is it for the flavor is it for the fun is it for your own health is it for nostalgia's sake a family shared experience, education. Is it for the show bench at the local flower show? Is it just to show off? Is it competitiveness? <laughs> just to be sociable, or is it to clear the ground? And I think if you if you think there, then you can begin to think about your variety. And do you want to grow in a container? Do you want to use the ground? And if you're going to go in the ground, you must be aware that you need a rotation, and this is essential because there are diseases that come into potatoes that mm-hmm. if you don't rotate. Um, so it's good practice, maybe four-year rotation. 
to minimise the effects of the what they call eel worm or nematodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, relax, um, choose your variety. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you, I you think, sort of, like I say, say, John, you, you sort of hinted there about um, so growing potatoes, not necessarily in the soil, but in containers. Now, we've seen certainly over the last few years how how uh, important that is, especially for people with limited space, and especially for with families with children who want to have a go at growing a crop for the first time and, and experimenting with potatoes because they're obviously so fast to develop. But uh, what, what's your thoughts on, on growing uh, potatoes in, in uh, pots or in these poly bags? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think it's a it's a good idea, and th- there are a huge range of containers. Um, one thing you've got to think about is drainage. You've got to have holes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a black plastic bag. There are specialist ones in garden centres. Uh, oh, there's big tubs. And again, it's thinking what you would like. Do you want to have a lot of small potatoes, or do you want to have one big potato. I say, you know, first time, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. Don't don't be too adventurous. Uh, grow an early potato. Grow, uh, you know, Iron Pilot or Duke of York or Swift or Rocket, something like that. Or a salad potato. You know how, I, I think everybody's familiar with Charlotte or Marish Pier. Um, and you can see those in the supermarket. But, but growing at home, they, they can be very successful in containers. Uh, getting a good compost. Composts are very variable, and I wouldn't worry too much. Just as long as they've got good good drainage, you know, even mixed with a wee bit of soil would help. But um, having having the container um, with the drainage, with the compost, and some potato fertilizer, and again, that's mostly in the in the supermarkets. It's labelled potato fertilizer, sprinkle of that and put the potatoes in. And if you want small potatoes, you know, uh, three, four potatoes would go in. But if you want to go for a show potato or a bigger potato, just put one potato in mm. um, and then water lightly. But the process of watering depends on the, on the season, you know, overwatering to begin with can be a bit of a problem or if it's raining but as the plant grows so uh, evaporation is greater and the sun comes out and it might start to droop so don't go away on holiday no, I'm just, uh, <laughs> not, not very easy at present circumstances indeed indeed uh, i was gonna say on, on growing them um, potatoes in bags so you've got to be a little bit careful on the frost though haven't you because obviously we can get some late frost which can do damage what would your your tips there be it's the same in the garden, yes, late frost. Um, I, I haven't planted my potatoes. I generally go in March, April, um, just when the ground's warm enough, 10 degrees, you need soil temperature. But growing them in a container, you could bring them in and out of the house, watch the weather forecast. And it's not so much ground freezing that's the problem. It's when you get fresh growth um, and they're very sensitive the potato plants are very sensitive to, to frost at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, some potatoes recover, others are a bit slow. But, yeah, watch the weather forecast. Um, don't go too early, I think. Mid-March, April, mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. John, on the area of, of growing potatoes, 
what in your opinion would be the best fertilizers to use on your crops perhaps in the in the open garden in the soil and in the garden centers you will see something called potato fertilizer so that that's perfect it's got the right balance but a farmer would use he would look at for something with which is high in potash now you've got the main ingredients are nitrogen phosphate and potash potassium and the the ratios would be 14 14 21 but you think of it nitrogen helps the top growth and you don't want too much of that you need Good top growth, but not too much because it brings in the disease. Phosphates, they help the root development, which is essential for potato growing. But again, you don't want too much energy going into the root, whereas potash helps chewer quality. So that's what to look for, um, high, high in potash. Which I suppose makes sense because um, obviously potatoes are in the same family as tomatoes. And of course... Tomato growers are often told to use high potash feed. So if you were growing your potatoes in bags, would a tomato feed be okay in that situation? Yeah, I, I think you've got to, to go with what you've got, in a sense, um, because quite often people don't want a big bog, box or a bag and they want to share it. Um, you know, uh, I know a number of people that use uh, hen manure and, you know, that's high in nitrogen. Mm -hmm. But if, it, if it's easily accessible and it's probably free and low price, it's maybe worth taking the risk. So right. I, I think, again, experiment. I've, I've just had a whole lot of mushroom um, compost delivered. And, you know, that's got an amazing amount of uh, manure in it. And we'll just see how that works. But, yeah, experiment. But if you want it perfect for the shows, Watch your NPKs. Yeah. And what about the regularity of, of applying the, the feed, John? Is there any, any tips there? Should you should you be doing it sort of fortnightly, once a month, when you plant? No, I, I, I always uh, put the fertilizer on to begin with. Uh, and quite often, depending on the season, if it's dry, it's not always used. But I, I scatter it, broadcast it uh, across the plot just before planting. Uh, a farmer would be quite precise. He'll have a machine which will layer it just below the tuber but uh, i wouldn't worry too much about that in the garden and just do it once that's perfect thank and obviously as, as the plants are growing and you, you you're watering them feeding them they start to put on some obviously decent growth it's obviously when they come into flower a lot of people start to scratch their head is that is that a key time for the for the crop is it a a, a point where you've got to really be doing something I think um, you've got to look on what you've planted. Earlies, there are, there are three main types of potatoes, earlies, second earlies, and main crop. And earlies will mature, you know, 60 to 100 days, and, and second earlies just a little bit later. Whereas main crop, you want them to grow right through the season as long as possible, so you're going to get as big a crop as possible. But for earlies, you're, you're going for that new potato flavour. Um, so you just want to plant them. Um, at, I would say you could you could risk planting them now in March. Yeah, perfect. And you, the 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 process of of growing potatoes obviously does rely on some feed 
if your soil is is fairly uh, fairly poor. But um, we mentioned earlier about using them to to clean your soil. So is that a sort of slight uh, a sort of crossover of, of thought there that you're using them to clean the soil, but you might actually have to feed them? I think yeah. The, these days, um, well, people are saying, "Oh, that's a, a delicate bit of ground, and you've got all sorts of weeds growing there." Um, the weeds like couch grass with tough roots mm-hmm. um, get as much of them out as possible. But the idea to clean the ground is a canopy, and it, it would block out the leaves, the the weeds. So that is why. It has grown as that, but um, for for some of the weeds that are persistent, you need to dig two or three, uh, two or three years to get yeah, rid of yeah. them. We we've got a an experiment going on with a local school at the moment, um, but there, there are some tough weeds there. Yeah, and on the problem, the problems which you can come across growing potatoes, obviously blight is the major problem. I mean, is there anything gardeners can do to reduce the problem these days? Yeah, I, I would think there's a lot you can do. There's a lot talked about resistant varieties. Um, I'll perhaps come back to that. Um, because blight, uh, you know, 1845, 46, they had the Irish potato famine, and it hasn't really been resolved. The farmer will have to spray up to 10 times. But you can't, obviously, you can't do that in the garden. So what can you do? Right, look at... Um, Blight-resistant varieties. Mm-hmm. Uh, a slight problem because blight's mutating all the time, So, and the populations change. Uh, there are two blight types, if you like. Mm-hmm. They're, they're nicknamed Blue 13 and Pink 6, but the populations fluctuate, and so the resistance fluctuates. So some seasons, um, your potatoes, although they're blight-resistant, could succumb. Okay. But there, there, there's a range of varieties. Uh, Sharpos, they're, they're known as they're, they're Hungarian originally, but uh, these have a, a, a very strong blight resistance. They're maybe not, they're not going to be like the flavours of the Aaron Pilot of the Duke of York. Um, but maybe if you're growing a main crop, maybe that's worth a try. And but there's lots of things on the way you can do. You can, I, I chip my potatoes. Chipping is early sprouting. It's not going to increase the yield, but it's going to give you a 10-day advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully with a good chip, your crop would mature 10 days earlier, which means if light comes, you've got a 10-day advantage. Okay. Um, another thing that they used to do was mixed varieties. Uh, if you had a row of Aaron Pilot, a row of Duke of York, it would perhaps confuse the blight. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. you know. Okay. And uh, I think watching a crop, listening, you know, the blight tends to come when the when there's a lot of moisture about, and you know when the temperatures are above ten degrees. But that that is the, uh, and it's blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no no escape. And if you're watching your crop, and if you begin to see some blight spots on the leaves, you could pick the leaves off and dispose of them safely. Um, and hopefully, it would dry out, and that would 
sort of dead in the blight, dead in the progress, process. Yeah. But if, it, if it's too much, then you would really have to cut the tops off. Mm. Because the worst thing that can happen is the more rain, the, the spores which have destroyed the leaves mm. are rushing down the stems onto the tubers and will destroy the tubers. And of course, once the, now, yeah, once the tubers are, are, are destroyed or badly damaged, then you, you just can't then store yeah. those for, for, the, for the winter, I suppose. Uh, so my advice would be to cut those tops down as low as you can to ground. Don't harvest them, and yes, you're going to eat them immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave them for 10, 12 days, and uh, the skins will firm up. If you can imagine the blight that's been on the tops, the, the plants acted like a pepper pot, mm-hmm. and there's lots of blight spores which have fallen off the plant onto the top of the drill. And if you harvest your potatoes, which have not got good skin set, um, those blight spores will just go onto the potato and just rot them. Mm-hmm. So leave them or eat them immediately. That's great. great. And uh, so that's yeah, yeah. That's great advice, John. Thank you for that. Um, obviously, potatoes these days are getting some extra competition from from the supermarket. Things like sweet potatoes and even yakons, which obviously the foodie chefs on the TV are now sort of promoting, and we're sort of getting used to them, I suppose, day to day shopping. But what are your thoughts on these particular crops? And is it going to pose a threat to our humble potato? Is that a concern? I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, uh, I don't think it's a threat. But yeah, by all means, experiment. Um, even try to grow them. Uh, you can't grow a sweet potato from a sweet potato. You need something called a slip uh, or a plug, and you would plant it. But you need warm conditions are polytunnel in Scotland. You maybe get away with it in the south. But uh, I, 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 I did it. I wasn't very successful, but so probably not the person to ask. But if you consider the potato, the humble spud, it can grow just about anybody in the, anywhere in the world. You know, Saudi Arabia. It can't grow in the Antarctic, but <laughs> in Mongolia. Um, you know, the, the potato is growing at 4,000 metres. It, it's very versatile. Yeah. And also, how many different recipes of the humble spud have you got? I, I mean, you can, the, the delight is having a, a new potato taste, you know, steamed in milk, mm-hmm. uh, to the wonderfully exotic accordion potato, as I like to call it here. Some of you may know it as Hasselback potato. Mm-hmm. But th- there's so many different uh, culinary choices that you can do. And I think what beats it all, it's low food miles. I mean, you, if, if you're buying a sweet potato from the supermarket, you know it's come from the other side of the world. Um, but if you're eating your own potatoes, you know that's zero food. Absolutely, food. yeah, that's a good point. John, in um, in gardening terms, we do see some really unusual varieties of, of vegetables offered. And uh, you sort of hinted, back at Chelsea, you had a, a really nice display. Um, varieties with coloured tubers they were becoming quite popular or have they sort of uh, settled down to, to create a bit of interest out in the in the gardener's uh, kitchen? I, I like them because they, they do create a great lot of interest, uh, particularly uh, amongst the younger generation. Um, I wouldn't like to eat a, a different colour potato uh, every day. <laughs> I prefer some of the others, but... You know, there's lovely names. They're worth experimenting with. Salad blue, for example. Mm-hmm. It cuts blue, 
and it is blue after cooking. Okay. And, you know, and just doing a simple thing like a, a cooking test, it's magic, you know, blindfold. Can you taste the difference? And really the potato taste. People are surprised. Um, there's another one, Highland Burgundy Red, and that's red in the middle. But there are others, so keep a look out for them. And uh, sometimes it's just the skin colour. You know, Apache is a red, and then it's got round about the eyes. It looks like a, a bit like a smile. And again, it's got a, a great attraction, a great appeal. And, and people, it has that wow factor. Mm. Uh, and I think they're very well for growing. Yeah. Just a small amount, yeah. just to see how they go. Uh, and would they be any more difficult to grow than the, the traditional varieties, or would they be more challenging? I, well, so I, I think some of the, the favourites uh, are challenging. Um, but, yeah, um, maybe a wee bit more challenging. But, I, again, I take experiments, how I go. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be able to buy these freely in the supermarket. Um, yes. And they've got a bit of story about them. Yeah, and I think that's what, what you said right at the uh, the beginning of uh, our introduction, that, you know, experimenting and, and, and growing things which you can't buy in the supermarket seems to be the, the sort of in phrase now. So you are basically not uh, wasting all your time and effort growing things which you could pick up relatively inexpensive. Yeah, definitely to be encouraged. Absolutely. Um, John, if we were to put you on a desert island and you could only take three varieties of potatoes, uh, an early, a second early and a main crop, what ones would you choose? Put you on the spot here. Oh, the desert island question. I love that. <laughs> um, I think an early potato, I would use Duke of York okay. because it would be nostalgic. It was a, a great favourite in the northeast of Scotland and in Persia. And that would remind me of home. <laughs> and also it's got a good flavour mm. in it. It stores um, reasonably well, so it can uh, double up as a, an early, and, you know, a storage main okay. crop. Second early, that is tricky. I think perhaps something really challenging, like pink for apple. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, because I know the farmer that produces the seed, and he always produces perfect pink for apples. And as soon as I start to grow them, they, they explode into all <laughs> sorts of novels and different shapes. Excellent. Um, how, and maybe on a desert island, I would, I would eventually find a way of, of solving that problem. I'm sure you would. Um, of challenging. Main crop. That, that, that to me is, is probably the most tricky because it's a, the most dependable food. And I, I think I would actually go for Maris Piper. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it is so flexible. You know, if you, if you do get a good crop, and it's great for, for making fries. It's make, great for making, you could even make crisps out of it. But these, Accordion potatoes, I'll pass them back. Um, yeah, baked potatoes. Uh, yeah, it's versatile and it will store. So those would be my my three perfect potatoes for 
Oh, that's great, and yeah, and uh, and bring those on. I think they would be would be wonderful. Uh, John, it's been really nice chatting to you today. Um, for those people who have going to venture out into growing potatoes this year, um, can you give us some some words of wisdom, perhaps, just to to encourage us, just to give them a go if you've never have, and if you have grown potatoes before, perhaps uh, a little bit of a word of advice that would be that would be wonderful. Yeah, I would say. First and foremost, have fun, you know, and enjoy what you're doing. And it will take time mm-hmm. um, to choose your variety, experiment, go for old favourites, enjoy the flavours and the textures. Um, you know, also enjoy your achievement. You know, you, you've produced a crop, and that's better than your neighbour <laughs> <laughs> if you're in an allotment. Um, it's a great topping point. I mean, when I was at Chelsea, Everybody just wanted to talk potatoes. I couldn't shift the subject. And they had their story. And, yeah, be brave, experiment. Learn from your mistakes. Don't throw up your arms in disgust if if it hasn't worked or if there's been blight. Also, continue to seek advice, but not just from one source, from, from several people. You know, how do they do it? Because the first source that tells you, the first and the first advisor might always be right. Yeah, I think that's very true. Oh, yeah. I think in gardening as well, you get so many different uh, points of view, which makes gardening such a, a contentious subject sometimes, which which is probably all the better for it. John, thank you. Thanks for your time today. And I'm sure um, we're going to go away with knowing a lot more, more about our humble potato and certainly with your, your great words of uh, advice and, uh, and care. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Good night. Goodbye and good growing. Thanks, John. So, Chris, now we've learned potatoes grow almost everywhere, but obviously don't like the frost. How do you grow them? Okay, so let's think about the the varieties you sort of pick up um, at the garden centre. So they tend to be the either earliest or f- uh, second earliest or main crop. So those are the three key cropping types. So that will dictate when you can actually come to, to plant them. Um, Obviously, earlies, as the name suggests, would go in around about Easter time. And second earlies, probably a couple of weeks after, followed by the main crops. When it comes to starting your potatoes off, normally when you get them home, there is a process which will help the the potatoes come into growth. And that process is called chitting. Okay. So chitting basically is to encourage the little eyes on your potato. We're all familiar with those. So when I'm just thinking about when I buy the potatoes from the garden centre, mm-hmm. you see them with their sort of little sprouts coming yeah. out. That, mm-hmm. that, that's a chit, is it? That's or is it. That some, that's, that's it. Nice. That's exactly what it is. It's the it's the it's the basically the the start of the stem. Okay, and if they've already got chits on them, mm-hmm. and they're say three, I mean sometimes you see them and they're really like quite long and mm-hmm. straggly. They look almost like whole root systems. Are you best to leave those, or should you? Knock those off. Yeah, I mean, what you can do, and you get the pair of, pair of secateurs or a nice pair of scissors, you can actually trim them back because it is almost like a stem. So if you tr- cut it back, it'll then re-sprout from the bottom because what you're trying to do with your tuber is to produce as many good, strong chits uh, to form the root system. Okay, because what I was taught was basically give the thing a haircut and knock, literally pull them all off. But um, that's not the best way. The best way is actually to cut those long, long shoots back to something a bit... 
shorter and more manageable. Indeed, yeah, because they could get damaged when they go into the soil, really. And I, I suspect um, by, by the nature, if you trim them all back, that's that's good. But hopefully you've got them nice and short and stubby if they've been uh, chitted in a nice, cool, light location. So frost-free, um, you know, a nice, cool window, you know, you know, spare bedroom window, or if you've got a, a shed with a, a decent window, somewhere where they can get, start growing but light is essential because you want those those little uh, sprouts to be nice and short and uh, obviously not elongated. Like okay. So with Kingford, maybe something like like you say, you know, it's a windowsill or a frost-free mm. greenhouse or something like that Perfect. where yep. lots of light but no frost. Because you see potatoes go out for sale in January, February time, don't they? And mm-hmm. It's obviously a bit early. So mm-hmm. it's the best thing to keep them in the fridge to stop them doing anything before no. you're ready to chit them? Or what, what, what's the best way to stop them growing? Yeah, I would certainly, when you get them home straight away, put them into a tray, either uh, egg boxes or a seed tray, and then sort of place them sort of uh, chit end upwards. Right, okay. Um, so they're, they're nicely uh, sort of positioned. And if you can give a little bit of space between them so they're not touching, because sometimes you can get a, obviously a bit of rock can occur occasionally, but you've got to just make sure there's a bit of air circulation around them. Okay. Uh, I would do that straight away. I don't think you want to be putting them in any cold conditions because uh, they've got a lot of growing to do. So, Chris, we've learned um, there's three different, ma- you know, three main different types of potatoes. The first earlies, the second earlies, and the main crop. What sort of depth should we be planting our potatoes? Right, Peter. So when it comes to, to planting depths, anything between sort of four to six inches um, below soil level. So once you've you've prepared your soil, you've dug over your, your area you intend to plant, um, then you can start to either create a, a trench or you could do individual planting holes or what they call planting stations for each potato tuber. Okay, so we don't have to do a total trench and sort of fill it full of organic manure. We can just do individual holes and um, put some stuff in uh, in the bottom now from my history of growing potatoes i i started using um chicken manure and um just digging a hole chucking a bit in and then chucking potato in and obviously i've since learned that you now have to trim the the, the eyes or uh, back or the shoots back a bit and plant them with the eyes pointing upwards and Mm -hmm. what's the best sort of fertilizer that we should be using yes so i mean certainly putting a bit of bit of bit of compost or i mean even um even well rotted compost from your compost or even the uh material you might you know your lawn trimmings you might use would be Mm -hmm. okay so that's going to warm the the hole or your trench up a bit as well isn't it it's going to do that it's going to obviously encourage a lot of a lot of extra growth which is particularly good on on light sandy soils if your soil is on on the the lighter side and any organic bulky material you can put around those tubers is is, is going to be a good okay great and that's going to slow the drainage down a bit as well presumably it will have that sort of knock-on effect as well yes but in some of with with potatoes you don't want too much moisture holding around the tube because of course that can attract uh, dreaded slugs as well so it's getting that balance i suppose so it's a a well-drained soil with lots of nutrients yes that's what we're looking for a great contradiction in horticulture that isn't it (laughs) now the other thing i learned um when I first, again, first grew my potatoes, I didn't bother with making these lovely little um, sort of castles on top of them. I've since learned that um, that's called earthing up, and mm-hmm. 
There's a very good reason for that now, isn't there, Chris? Can yeah. you talk us through why you earth your potatoes up? Yeah, I mean, chiefly or primarily, it's all about protecting those young shoots as they emerge from from the soil. Because if you're spacing them anything between, you know, 30 centimetres maybe for your earlies and maybe 60 centimetres for your main crop, you've got spaces between the, the, the potatoes as they develop. But, of course, you've got, at that time of the year, when their plants are emerging, you've got the possibilities of frost. It's very true, and I know certainly some years the tops of the potatoes do get sort of hit by the frost mm. and all die mm-hmm. back. Now, what's the best thing to do if that if you do have that? Do you cut them back? Do you just leave them, or do you bury them? Yeah, I mean, actually, uh, just just continue the the earthing up process where you're going to be putting some soil around there, so that will help the um, the, uh, the the shoot will then recover. You know, albeit it will be delayed a little bit, it'll be hit for that little bit of time. But the plant's very responsive and it will send up further shoots from the from the tuber itself. And then, of course, as you're doing that, you're then producing the, the framework of, of soil and structure, which are obviously going to help to produce your tubers long term. Yeah, because that's something I'd never realised until I had this discussion. That the, I'd always thought potatoes sort of grow off the roots of the potato and go mm-hmm. downwards, but I've since learnt now they're coming off the stems, and so they shoot. The, the, the eyes obviously turn into the shoots that then mm-hmm. grow the leaves and have the flowers on top eventually, and that's where your potatoes, the potatoes come out of the stems. And now, can I ask a silly question here, Chris? Go on then. Um, where your potatoes come out from uh, on the stem is that a leaf node that turns into a potato or is that a it's the beginning of a, a leaf shoot yes okay yeah yeah so the the potato itself is acting obviously as a storage organ but then it all it wants to do is to produce new new shoots so those new shoots effectively become your stems and it's from those stems that your your tubers will form so the more uh, stems you can produce and often sometimes some of the uh, some of the garden garden centre people will say, yeah, you want to reduce the number of of, uh, of 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 chits on your potato. In fact, exhibitors of potatoes might only allow two shoots to grow. Yeah, because I've been told two or three. You want yeah. three uh, sort of eyes to shoot and knock off all the other ones. That's but it. I've obviously yeah. learnt now. No, I should be trimming my shoots and rather than knocking them off. off. That's it. So taking them off, and that'll obviously encourage those those to develop. And then obviously, if you're then earthing up, you're going to do a, a few things as well as protecting from the frost. You're going to encourage then the plants to produce those tubers on those stems, which are growing on that, as you described, pyramid of, of compost and soil. Excellent. And I, I guess if the the reason the potato turns green if it gets the sunlight is mm-hmm. because it's sort of a, a leafy part of the plant rather than a rooty part. So mm-hmm. ideally it wants to photosynthesize. Yes, and that's also a re- reflection on the fact that the stem itself, obviously a green horn, as we, I think potatoes are called horns, then you get that sort of process of, of greening, which of course for us gardeners is not good news because of course they are poisonous potentially. Are the leaves poisonous as well? They are, yes. So both the leaves, yeah. We heard recently of one of our colleagues' dogs going out and mm. munching on the potatoes. Never good, never good. Didn't do yeah. them, it didn't do them much good. So we shouldn't eat them either. Indeed, no, steer well clear of them, and, and hence that's why we we have to earth up on a on a regular basis. And certainly, when your shoots start to grow above your your pyramid of of, of soil, then you then every two or three weeks continue earthing up as as the as the crop develops. Okay. So, um, fresh potatoes versus sort of old potatoes, is there much of a flavour difference when you put them in the pot, as it were? Oh, yes, I think so, yeah. I mean, early early potatoes, first and second earlies, are going to have that nice flavour. 
they're going to be, have a different texture as well to them. And obviously, as many of the varieties you, you can use and boil as, as salad varieties too. So, yes, a lot of variability. And, of course, the, uh, the, uh, the more mature um, main crop varieties are going to be the ones you're going to tend to store. So that gives you that advantage too. Yeah, because um, certainly, Chris, the, the difference in flavours that you can find in potatoes is, I, I think, amazing. I mean, you know, my favourites are little ratty potatoes mm. that you can grow. In, as a, I think they're a first early. Yes, yeah, they're, they're the early category. And they are so unusual to look at, too. They're, they're odd to look at. They're not the easiest to prepare, shall we say, um, they're, 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 because they're so knobbly. Mm. They get a good load of mud in between uh, the, yeah. the, uh, the, the knobbles, but... Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they taste nice, and then you've got things like the Desiree, which I, I think hands down is the nicest roast potato. I'm sure mm-hmm. chefs would argue mm-hmm. that, that there's better ones, but yeah, personally yeah. I, I like a lovely old uh, yeah. sort of Desiree. Um, yeah. let's, let's give a shout-out for Maris Piper as well. I mean, that's the one you tend to see in the supermarkets, especially at this time of year, as it's a good storer, but obviously good for roasting. I don't know how good it is, um, but certainly good for, for chipping. Too. Okay. Yeah, and then you know, there's the, the the golden wonder potato Indeed. as well, isn't it? Now, the, that was grown for what purpose, Chris? I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Could it have been for Chris? I or, think or so. Maybe yeah. it was what's it? Unhealthy snacks are available. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Excellent. So, is there anything we need to be aware of when growing potatoes, other than obviously the sunshine and yeah. getting keeping the sunshine off the potatoes most definitely yeah i mean the storage is 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 factor here so um yeah you need to making sure that they they are regularly earthed up you need to make sure that you you start to think about when your crop's going to be harvested as well okay and yeah when when do you harvest potatoes this is interesting because some schools of thought say well the plant produces flowers is the flower a a bit of a giveaway to whether that's the plants are ready or is it the fact that the lower foliage on some variety starts to yellow so sometimes it can be a combination of both okay so when the the sort of flowers have gone not when they've just broken but after they've been out for maybe a week or two and the sort of lower foliage is starting to die back that's a good time yeah and and for our listeners who are probably not aware obviously potatoes and tomatoes share the same family and of course the of course the potato flower is very similar obviously tomato flowers are yellow but often you can get with uh, t- potatoes you can get white and you can get sort of purple and white you get some quite interesting combinations depending on the on the variety so so different varieties have different coloured flowers. Mm. Yes, often okay. is the case. Yeah, and observationally wise, you'll probably see that more in the uh, in the main crop because obviously they tend to come into flower, uh, you know, later in the season as the the day length sort of changes as well. Yeah, because you know, the other thing I'd always think in summer is obviously normally you buy your potatoes in early spring. Mm-hmm. Come the summer, we um, get the packs of um, Christmas you know, Christmas potatoes in from tailors, don't we? I always think so. How odd it is to see them, but they're yes. quite quite easy to grow, and it, it's and it, it, they are, and it's such a, a nice thing to be able to to grow for Christmas, isn't it? The idea you can mm. uh, you can set a tuber in a pot during the months of you know, July into sort of mid August, so you've got a, a good six week window of planting with the anticipation that you'll have some lovely new potatoes for harvesting sort of early December. So very easy, very straightforward. Only a limited number of varieties that I think tailors do. I think it's four or five varieties. So, okay. uh, and presumably, if they're going to be, do they, they they flower sort of November time? Do they? And then 
Yes. I mean, all I'm thinking is what happens if they get frosted? Yeah. Is that, do you, is that the problem with Christmas potatoes? You've got to give them some more protection to grow them in a greenhouse or something like that? Yep. So the, basically the process is you get to try and get them planted as early as possible. So as soon as they come into the garden centre and you can buy them, get them going, you need to probably give them a little week or two of, of, of chitting time. Obviously yep. that, this time of the year or that time of the year, should we say they're going to grow that a little bit quicker. Get them into the pot, just mm. like very lightly cover the, them with compost in the base of a pot probably you want something 30 40 centimeters in diameter a decent size okay. and then the process will be you would earth up as the plants grow as they develop you would add more compost as you would do outside but in a in a container to be honest with you i've never seen um christmas potatoes actually flower because the, the season's that much shorter right so it's all about getting that lovely top growth because obviously the more top growth you can encourage through the months of july august september maybe into october before the frosts arrive then the better chance you're going to have a good sort of set of of tubers in the soil in the in the compost okay now am i right in thinking you're talking about letting them chit up the sort of perfect length for a potato chit is maybe an inch to two inches i mean ideally yes that would that would be the yes that's what we would probably say you know textbook wise but actually as long as it's got some nice strong growth on there that's usually enough and remember when they're coming into the garden center that time of the year they're going to be starting to sprout anyway because they want to grow should be growing at that time indeed they want to escape from the bags they're in and uh, usually you get i think it's five or six tubers in a, a pack so you don't have to grow a huge amount and that's the great virtue of of christmas potatoes you can grow a few different varieties if you've got the space of course which can extend your season which is which is good it's a good idea isn't it mm. so john was talking about using tobacco plants to test um for blight wasn't mm. he is, mm. is that something you'd come across before and yeah I mean, it was it was absolutely fascinating wasn't it but again tobacco um nicotiana uh, are in the same obviously the same family as the potato and so the they're like the tomatoes and the potatoes and the yeah, tobacco yeah, plants. yeah yeah and of course uh, we tend to think of the, the nicotiana in our gardens, or more of a, if you're into your decorative flower gardening, as a, obviously a, a summer bedding plant. And uh, but I, I can remember my grandma's stories of my no, my grandfather. Who, I, I know my grandfather used to grow tobacco. Mm-hmm. He, he was a smoker back in 1940s and 50s when it was still sort of fairly <laughs> commonplace. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, he used to grow his own tobacco. Now, that's not the same as the bedding tobacco, is it? No. Uh, if you grow, um, I think it's uh, Nicotiana sylvestris, they do produce big leaves. I mean, they're big, big old leaves, but they're they are quite different. But uh, yeah, you need a really nice sunny location. And presumably quite warm as well. Mm. They don't. That's why Grandad used to grow them in the greenhouse. Yeah, yeah so a bit of protection. But, but if you've got a nice warm pot in your garden or a nice sheltered spot, then probably it's worth giving them a go. But uh, I remember, though, Peter, years ago, that a very well-known seed company used to sell uh, tobacco plants as seed so it, it was actively encouraged in those days different yeah, times yeah. perhaps yeah and uh, another way of being thrifty and um, mm. growing your own yeah <laughs> indeed <laughs> probably best not to promote too much now no, no. but is the the original tobacco plant now was the the bedding tobaccos grown from that and because I mean, the smell of the flowers is mm. sort of why we grow the bedding tobacco? Indeed, it? yes. Is, is that the same with the original? I, I must admit, I've, I've never seen a, a true tobacco plant in flower, but it's probably obviously very similar. But yes, the the hybridizers and the breeders have been working on the on the flower colours, 
and the fact that the flowers uh, often are sort of downward facing. But it's when we come into the evening, they really take over and their scent and perfume really does fill the, your garden with, 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 with wonderful fragrance. So well worth growing. Because it's a nice sort of sweet mm. fragrance from memory. It, it is, yeah. You know, one of those ones that, yeah, you go out on the yeah. nice sunny evening and... Yeah, and I think anecdotally, they, um, they can attract things like some of the moths as well. They've got that type of fragrance, which is really, yeah, good for, for if you want to encourage moths to, to, to watch uh, in the garden with a bit of nature studying in July and August. Probably those are good plants to, to have around too. That's a good tip. I like that. So I've certainly learned a fair bit about potatoes, Chris, and it was really good having John on the show. He's clearly an expert in his field, isn't he? Yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't it great to talk to John earlier and uh, to get a real inkling and an insight to the to the potato industry, but also the, the, the sort of Scottish story as well. It's it great to hear John and such a such a character. Definitely, I love to hear about the tatties. <laughs> yes, yes, bring them on, John. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Peter. Our thanks today goes to Chilton Music Therapy for providing music for our show. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.